time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. One of the things I realized is that sometimes we're not aware of how bad we're actually feeling. I I realized this when I got sick myself. Uh, It's been a number of years back. And when I was recovering from that and, and moving beyond that and decided that I really needed to look at how I was eating and exercising and dealing with stress, when I started making changes, I realized that I had not felt well for years. And I didn't even realize it. And what I've discovered is that's the case for many of us. We think that however we're feeling, the pains, the aches, whatever we have is just normal. And more and more, I believe less and less that that is our normal state of being. Today, I have a special guest. Uh, Maureen Vincenti is uh, somebody who has taken this very seriously uh, and tried to figure out how to deal with what she calls the five pillars of health in a way that is from a scientific perspective. This started when her mother got sick, but also continued when Maureen got sick and how she had to find her way through uh, this labyrinth of treatments that were not ever getting to the underlying reason for this. So we are going to talk about how to make some shifts to get to real health, but you need to understand something about Maureen. She is well-trained. Maureen was pre-med when her mom got sick, but she diverted into other science and worked for NASA and the EPA and took that scientific mindset into what she was trying to uncover. And she began to look for the ways that she could help others transform their lives, not just something that she could do for herself, but how this was a blueprint for lots of people. And she offers that to us today. So... Um, listen in and get ready for some great information about how to bring about more and more health into your life as I spend some time speaking with Maureen Vincenti. I am excited about this conversation because uh, Maureen and I have had a a kind of a common piece of our health issues along the way. And uh, I know I've worked on mine and I don't have nearly the background that Maureen does (laughs) since uh, she has that astrophysicist stuff in her background. You know how they say it's not rocket science? Well, this is rocket science here. So we're going to have to uh, really buckle in and listen in on how we can change our our health, uh, even in 30 days, even in one month. So Maureen, thank you so much for being here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how you got to this place and, and uh, how this all kind of jumped into place for you. What's the starting point for this? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And um, I'm really excited to share my story. And I know there's a lot of people out there that can probably relate. So what started all of my health journey was about 17 years ago. I was a freshman at UCLA. I was actually pre-med. And the end of my freshman year, my mother, who appeared to be so healthy, was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer which is basically a death sentence because mm. it's undetectable till stage four. And it came as a shock. She had the BRCA testing done, the genetic testing for it, and it was negative. So at that point, I, I was convinced, okay, something environmental caused this. Mm-hmm. And having that sort of science research need to chase everything down a rabbit hole brain, I used all of my spare time and was just really obsessed with nutritional therapy, environmental cause of disease, preventive medicine, Um, And I continued my internships with hospitals and private practices I had. And that's when I realized there was just this huge gap with the traditional Western medical approach. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have a headache because you're deficient in aspirin. It might take the pain away. Now, I thought my mom doesn't have cancer because she's deficient in chemo. Right. You know, like what's the root cause? Like, let's figure this out. Um, So then I ended up changing my, my major and went into different sciences and astrophysics, geology, all these other non-human related things because I was kind of just fed up with uh, that whole practice. Um, but I, it still was my passion. So for four years while she was battling, I kept trying to figure out ways we could support her body and help heal her. Unfortunately, she passed in 2006, and I ended up going and working for NASA and geology and EPA during the day, but I was still obsessed with needing to figure this out and wanting to know how I could prevent myself from getting this cancer diagnosis later in life, my sister. And then 
later on in my 20s, I was always an athlete. I always thought I was pretty healthy, active. I just started gaining weight. I started not feeling well. I was cold all the time. Like my, my upper body would be warm, but I couldn't feel my feet and hands. I still played competitive soccer. It'd be 85 degrees outside and I'd have to wear Uggs on my feet right before the game started to keep my feet warm enough so I could feel myself dribbling the ball. Um, and you know, my core body temperature was always really low, blood pressure, super low. And I would go to the doctor and they'd run my labs and they'd say, Oh, there's, there's nothing wrong with you. And so I'd go back a year later, there's nothing wrong with you. I started having a lot of digestive issues, not sleeping, um, you know, really bad insomnia, depression. I went to see some therapists and got put on a few different rounds of antidepressants at different points which kind of helped. But again, it wasn't the root cause of what yeah. was going on. With You're me. not deficient in those either. Totally. Yeah. So then finally, um, it was later on in my twenties, I believe I was 27. I saw like a functional endocrinologist. And so she ran a thyroid panel on me and also tested for thyroid antibodies. So it was the first time I was officially diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. She said, Oh, you have Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune version of the thyroid. And she said, you know, it's pretty common. Don't worry. About 20 million people in the U.S. have it. Um, And, you know, eventually your thyroid will kill itself and we can take it out if we need to. And you just go on thyroid meds and it's fine. It's great. Nothing different there. (laughs) Yeah. So I thought, what in the world? So I just went home and I cried and I thought, you know what? Something's got to give. I know enough about the human body to know that there's at least something from a nutrition and lifestyle standpoint that I can do to maybe not cure myself, but at least, you know, be symptom free or to, to really promote healing within my body. So I just continued. Now this is eight years into my obsessive research around health, nutrition, and wellness. So I just kept collecting certifications on the side, nutrition degrees, researching, using my body as a science experiment, Petri dish constantly. Mm -hmm. Um, And eventually got to the point now where I'm symptom-free. I'm 50 pounds lighter. I reduced my thyroid medication by about 90%. Um, I also realized two years later that I had celiac disease. I figured that out on my own and ran my own panels at home just to get confirmation and had all of these other issues. Realized I have the genetic mutation MTHFR, which predisposes me to a lot of the autoimmune stuff and is also making me react to a lot of different foods and food intolerances. And I ran my own food panels at home. And so, you know, I just luckily was able with persistence and and my obsession for for science and being my own advocate, able to really figure out what's going on with my body, figure out how to heal myself. And then finally, four years ago, I thought, why am I working at refineries all day long, you know, 60 hours a week with a hard hat and steel toed boots. And it's not my passion. My passion's health and wellness. Like I want to be doing this. Like this is maybe a blessing that I went through all of these illnesses and I can use this and the passing of my mom to really help other people. Cause I saw it in so many of my friends and family, you know, we're so, so used to just not feeling well. I think people expect a certain level of pain and discomfort as they age or, you know, just because something is, is common doesn't make it normal. I realized. And, you know, MDs, they just have this gap right now. They don't take a single nutrition course in medical school. And the little bit of nutrition advice that they do get is still guided by the USDA food pyramid, which clearly is not working because we've never been fatter or sicker as a society. So it's also chasing after the treatment, you know, instead of trying to figure out what caused it, you're still trying to, for instance, the thyroid, what caused the thyroid to go down? Well, we'll just replace the thyroid is the response. Um, And uh, so you're constantly chasing after the symptomology rather than trying to figure out what started it. Yes, absolutely. And a part of it is, you know, there are a lot of people that unfortunately I've come across where I know that I can help them, but they're not, they don't want to make the effort. There are the people that just want the pill. Yeah. You know, if they go in, they want the pill, they don't want to make the lifestyle changes. They don't want to be inconvenienced, you know, but there are so many people out there that really do want to make the changes. They want to live that preventative lifestyle. They want to be optimized. They want to be healthy and happy And they're just operating off of, you know, 
misinformation. Yeah. So they're trying, 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 they're not getting the results. And then they think that the system's broken or not working and they're just on the wrong path. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, I watched uh, your path was one mind. I watched psychiatry. I, I, I was um, doing a lot of residency work um, in a hospital as a therapist and I was working with the psychiatrists who were getting zero psychodynamic training. And yet they were dealing with people every day who were coming in with psychodynamic issues. And their response, since they didn't have that, was, well, here's a pill. You know, and so it was, again, trying to chase after what might have been something else by getting rid of the symptoms. And, and you're right. It's, it's quite a paradigm. I, th- this whole uh, piece you're talking about fits into this paradigm we've gotten into. Um, I had the same kind of experience. I, I'm not going to go uh, because I've talked about it before, but... Um, when I got sick with autoimmune uh, illness, I, once I got better, I made some big changes because I was out of shape and overweight and everything else. That's when I accidentally discovered that I had a reaction to gluten. And it was completely an accident. It, what, I didn't do it the way you did it, where you actually use science. <laughs> but I had eliminated flour from my diet. And one day, um, there was a, an extra cookie and I just said, oh, I'll eat it. And I was immediately sick. And what was interesting was after I was sick, I realized that I had felt that exact same way my entire life, assuming that everybody had a sore belly. And that's the thing. You, know, you just assume that everybody's not feeling well and they must be feeling the same bad stuff that you are. And uh, instead of going, okay, what is what does wellness look like? Not what have we settled for as the normal, but what should we feel like? So this is great information. Let's talk some about... Um, where you see um, the breaks with um, where medicine has been, where do you draw a distinction, for instance, on what would you recommend versus what we've been facing all along? Yeah, well, I mean, there are some blessings to Western medicine. And and I think that, I think where we should rely more heavily on Western medicine is acute illness. Yes. You know, things that are immediate. Like if I get in a car accident and half of my guts are hanging out or I have a bone popping out, like you no better worries. believe I'm grateful <laughs> for those doctors that I go to and they're going to stitch me back up together in the hospitals and put me on antibiotics to prevent infection. Like that is great. The problem really is that about 90% of what people are suffering from now is different than it was 100 years ago. It's lifestyle-based diseases. So the solution to all of these things is lifestyle. It's not really medication. Now, am I grateful for my thyroid medication? I am because unfortunately I did so much permanent damage to my thyroid before realizing what my diagnosis was and, you know, could heal my body. So I'll always probably be on a smaller amount of thyroid medication for the rest of my life, but it's in conjunction then with the nutrition and lifestyle stuff that I've done. And it's funny you mentioned gluten. I think that you know, gluten has really gotten, um, or gluten intolerance has gotten a bad rap. People think it's very trendy or, oh, you know, you're not, you don't really have a gluten issue. And, but it's, it's actually so toxic to the body and most people. And it does, if you have that genetic predisposition, it is one of the environmental triggers that can really set off a cascade reaction for autoimmunity, which you discovered. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's interesting. Uh, my daughter did um, a, one of the genetic profiles and she said, Hey dad, they, it does say that um, I carry not her, not me, but I, I tried to do the same test and they couldn't get enough DNA from, <laughs> from me. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't want to talk about what that might mean, but um, they, they were able to get it from her and uh, they said, yes, you have a higher uh, possibility of gluten intolerance. And so uh, she um, realized that maybe I had not been quite so picky that, um, and, and I, I think you're right. I mean, it, it just has ended up being such a trendy, um, thing about maybe weight loss or I've been at places where somebody said, um, Oh, I don't do gluten. Um, could I have the pasta please? And, and they don't see that there is the connection. And I'm sitting there going, if you can eat that big bowl of pasta, you don't have a gluten issue that I'm aware of. But a lot of times people don't realize what's going on behind the scenes. So before we jump in, you mentioned a term. I want to make sure that we just start assuming um, nothing here. What do you mean by lifestyle-based disease? What, what's your definition of that? Yeah, my definition of that is something that is triggered environmentally. So it, if someone had lived a life differently, meaning in a different location, exposed to different things, ate in a different way, 
manage their stress in a different way, they would not have had the same result with their health. Okay. So. Which is a pretty broad, I mean, that, that a lot of the things that we assume, uh, and I know this is we're, now we're getting into genetics and epigenetics, that there might be something you have a propensity for, but if it's not triggered or if right. you deal with it some way, you might avoid it. So the study of epigenetics is, and I don't know if you've talked about this on any of the past episodes in your show, but for the listeners, it's um, how your genes interact with your environment mm-hmm. to either activate or deactivate certain genes you have. So it's your genetic expression through environment. So you can think about your genetics as the loaded gun and it's the environment that pulls the trigger. Mm-hmm. So you can be born with a loaded gun, but if you never do anything throughout your lifetime to pull the trigger, then that health ailment will never present itself. Whereas someone else could be born without the loaded gun and they can do whatever they want. There are those genetic kind of freaks of nature. We all know that one person who has, you know, smoked a pint, I mean, smoked a pack a day and drank a pint of vodka and lived to be, you know, 97 and has no, no health attributed to just that. (laughs) We were just genetically resilient and born without a loaded gun. Mm -hmm. So, but for those people that I think a lot of people think that their genes are their destiny and it really doesn't have to be that way. They look at their, their mom, their dad, they're born into obesity and they think, oh, wow, well, I'm just destined to be fat or I'm destined to, to get X, Y, and Z, but it's not really the truth. So many of us have different genetic potential versions of ourselves based on how we eat and how we choose to live. Like I was, you know, 50 pounds heavier than I am now. I have, you know, a sensitivity to carbohydrates rates, maybe more so than some other people that are naturally lean. But if I eat a lower carb paleo diet, I don't spike my insulin. I don't store excess carbohydrates as fat. I don't create all these other things. You know, if I eat gluten and I eat dairy, then I activate the autoimmune response in my body and I'm sick and I'm symptomatic and I have all these other issues. So, you know, I have before and after photos at so many different points in my life. And I can look at those pictures and that version of me and know exactly, oh, that's what I look like when I'm treating my body in this way. I've when got I'm the same photos. <laughs> yeah, when I'm drinking, when I'm smoking, yeah. when I'm being 22 and crazy and partying, that's what I look like. Yeah. You know, when I'm sick and I'm not treated and I'm eating gluten and dairy and I'm inflamed and sick, that's what I look like. When I'm doing what I'm doing now and eating a low carb paleo keto diet that's gluten and dairy free and I'm managing my stress and I'm, you know, putting focus on quality sleep and I'm creating a joyful life. This is the version of me, you know, you just uh, knocked out quite a few uh, changes that might be in there. So let's go through some of those changes that you think um, are um, something that maybe applies to everybody. What, what are the changes that you see as being, and when I say everybody, meaning there is a group that are really going to benefit from that, but it may be something that's helpful for lots of people. So what I have discovered, again, I kind of put my body through all these different experiments. I was actually vegan for five years in my 20s when I thought that that was really going to set me up for optimal health and well-being. And um, it made me so much worse. I had the same reaction. Did you? Yeah. And I have found the same thing too. Like a lot of people uh, that I follow now and different professionals and my current industry, which is really the paleo primal community, which I'll get into more. A lot of them actually started vegan. We call themselves recovering, recovering vegans, you know, because it's usually a five to 10 year window. Some people break down sooner that people initially feel better because they're getting off a standard American diet of junk food and processed food and chemicals. But then shortly after their body starts to break down because it's too low in protein, too low in saturated fat, too low in cholesterol, too high in carbohydrates causes all these other things. So um, it took me a while to emotionally eat meat again because I'd seen so many videos about how animals were treated, but I actually dreamt about red meat for a year before I could emotionally bring myself to, to eat it. And I remember the first time I had a burger patty, I was crying. At the same time, I swear I felt all of my body like tingling, like my cells were like, oh my gosh, thank you. And I'm just 
sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. And then my boyfriend I was with at the time had to prepare all the meat for the first six months, had to be cooked well done, like burnt to a crisp. You know, I had to chug it down with water. And now I will eat the gristle off a of prime rib, rare, medium, rare, fatty meats. I feel like a, a cave woman, like I'm making up for lost time and I'm just apologizing to my body every time I sit down to a steak, you know, so sorry I deprived you for so long. Mm-hmm. So I have found that optimal health, I think for everyone, even if someone feels healthy now, I believe that they can be a more optimized version of themselves by following a paleo template. So that is really grain-free, dairy-free with the exception of butter, because butter is just the fat. Most people have an inflammatory response to the casein and the whey proteins found in cheese and yogurt and milk. They think they can handle dairy because they're not lactose intolerant, but they don't understand the chronic underlying inflammation it's causing. Pretty Mm -hmm. much anytime someone comes to me with skin issues or any respiratory or seasonal allergies, it's an inflammatory response to dairy, those proteins in the dairy. So grain-free, dairy-free, gluten-free, sugar-free is really key. And now if someone's not sick, they maybe can get away with an 80-20 rule, having that be their base, but not having to be 100% strict. Now, if you have autoimmunity like you and I do, or some other chronic conditions, you really get to be 100% with it. you know. And then within that template, depending on the person, if they're also overweight, if they have diabetes, if they have insulin resistance, a lot of people do much better on the lower carb spectrum of that, which is really, you know, minimizing potatoes, sweet potatoes, really cutting back on fruit and really having the diet be primarily made of quality fats, proteins, and vegetables. A lot of people are still so afraid. They're so fat fearing in our Mm -hmm. society, really afraid to eat the yolk and the egg you know, really afraid to eat red meat because they have been told it's going to give them heart disease and get in clog their arteries. Um, heart disease is really caused from inflammation from grains and sugar and not fat. So it's really, re-edu- we get to re-educate people. We get to tell them that, you know, fat is really good for you. It's healthy for the brain. It's healthy for the hormones. They're calling Alzheimer's now type three diabetes, you know, so it's powerful what you can do to prevent all sorts of things in reverse with a low carb paleo diet. So in the, I've done paleo for a number of years um, and kind of discovered by accident um, because I had, I was doing a different way uh, that wasn't working. I was doing a slow carb diet, which at least got me off of sugar and all the other things. And, and one of the things I will tell people who decide to do this, um, when you give up sugar, you realize how addictive it is. Um, mm-hmm you were talking about thinking about steak, um, or red meat. Um, I was at that time working as a therapist still, and uh, I would sit there in sessions thinking about cookies and pies and I don't even like pies and all the, and I was sitting going, what is going on with me? And I realized it was my body trying to convince me to go back to the sugar. Yeah. I'm also a recovering, you know, food addict. I realized, um, you know, I have a lot, I had a lot of disordered eating issues and, you know, I wouldn't say anorexia, but um, just disordered eating issues when I was younger and body image issues and all sorts of things. And I realized that it was, I did more research on the difference between food addiction and the eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And I realized, you know, my dad's an alcoholic, recovered alcoholic. So I have also that genetic predisposition. And I really, I think a lot of alcoholism is actually sugar addiction. It's Mm -hmm. the way that that body physiologically responds to that sugar. It's that phenomenon of craving that kicks off. So for me personally, not to just be physically feeling better, but mentally feeling better, I don't even let, I don't really allow myself to eat fruit because it's so sweet. It triggers something in me. Like Mm -hmm. one cup of grapes. I don't want just one cup of grapes. I want four pounds of grapes. You know, I find myself, even if I don't eat more, I'm obsessing about it for the next, you know, three, four hours. And I thought, you know, so I also have such, you know, following a ketogenic diet, which not everyone has to do. It's just what works best for me. All of that is gone. You know, my body is completely fat adapted. I crave fat, you know, I'm no longer running off of glucose or sugar. So I'm physically feeling better, but mentally those cravings are gone. But the second that I'm on vacation or I allow myself to have something else, it starts again. And it's just this uphill battle for a few days until that goes away. So I, I totally hear you. Sugar is a powerful addiction. Powerful. I, when I talk with people who start down that road, that 
generally is where they get derailed. You know, they, mm -hmm. they find themselves e either accidentally, meaning they're not mindlessly eating whatever's around, they're accidentally feeding that back again. So as soon as you go back to it, you've re-triggered re and reset, um, or they're just miserable uh, thinking about <laughs> what they you know, don't want to eat. And, and that really is the thing. And, and so I would say, I mean, both of us are, are talking about the same thing, that there is a point where that goes away when your body does a reset. Yeah. And that's what I, you know, I know you mentioned at the beginning, you know, about 30 days and that's really what I've discovered, you know, work with people for three months, sometimes longer, because that's what I have really found it takes to not only provide people with the education they need, also support and accountability. But at the end of three months, I mean, they have already made the behavioral changes, their body has changed, the cravings go away. I mean, it goes away a lot sooner than that. I would say around 21 days, sometimes even less, but the first 10 days, I tell people, you know, like you're, how awful you feel is going to be directly correlated to kind of how you've been treating your body, but like you will get through it. Mm -hmm. There is the light at the end of the tunnel, but don't believe that how you feel for the first week or two is how it's always going to feel. You know, you just kind of have to go through it to get to the other side. But then once they, once they push through it and get to the other side, oh my gosh, it's so amazing how much better people start to feel and consistent energy. So many people get that you know, that energy crash in the afternoon, two or three, where they go for that piece of candy in the office or the extra cup of coffee, you know, because they're just constantly on that blood sugar roller coaster. And it's exhausting. I did that for years, too. It's it's very, it's exhausting. You're stuck definitely in that trap. So one of the things that you mentioned is um, the, the change in eating, getting away from carbohydrates to uh, healthy fats and uh, proteins, which generally is meat, but there are some other options and vegetables. And one of the things that sometimes happens with people is they go to low grade fat <laughs> and cheap meat, um, which still continues the environmental piece. And you talked about the kind of the watching the industry, the meat industry and that right. how sickening that is. But there's also something about what you're putting into your body that matters in that at that point. Totally. Yeah. So I always tell people, you know, there's, of course, there's a spectrum of food choices. And, you know, you really have to, you have to make the best choices that you can whenever you can, but you also have to be respectful of your budget and family and household. And so, you know, on a scale of like one over here being the worst choice, you know, that's everything processed, packaged, artificial, sprayed with chemicals. You know, a 10 is maybe everything that is you know, in season, locally sourced, grass fed, pasture raised, organic, you know, sprinkled with fairy dust and unicorn blood. I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> ideal. And then there's everything in between. And so for me personally, I'm actually 95% carnivore now. I'm experimenting even further away from vegetables and greens and realize that I feel a lot better. And that's kind of fun research to do. But so a lot of my diet now is meat. I unfortunately cannot afford to always buy grass fed mm -hmm. grass finished at, you know, 15 to $20 a pound eating one to two pounds of meat a day. Maybe one day I will be able to, but I've also found that, you know, okay, so I wait till quality meat goes on sale, maybe USDA prime, but it's always antibiotic or hormone free. Mm -hmm. You know, it might be grain finished, but really there's just a slight difference in vitamin profile and things like that. But I'll always buy, you know, organic produce or things that have not been sprayed with carcinogenic pesticides or things like that. I buy quality supplements, you know, so I have my own spectrum that I have found works for me and works in my budget, you know, and then of course I travel a lot. So things I'm eating out on the road are not always going to be grass finished right. or pasture raised eggs and, you know, organic, but I find what I do majority of the time at home works for me and I'm, I'm symptom free that way. So it's really just helping people figure out, you know, what their choices are based on where they live. You know, I have some clients, I'm going to visit them in Nebraska on Saturday and they live on a cattle ranch. Mm -hmm. So might be know, fresh. They have access to meat. <laughs> if you don't have access to maybe year round is, you know, fresh organic produce, right? Mm -hmm. So they, you know, everyone there can go in on, they have, you know, chickens and eggs. And so, you know, it just, it just depends where people are in the country and, and what budget there is for their family. But definitely, it can be done without having to eat processed food and chemical, you know, junk. I always tell people there's a difference between food and an edible consumer product. And one of the biggest mistakes Americans make is that just because you can chew and swallow something, it makes it a food. Yeah. It doesn't make it a food. <laughs>
There's yeah, no had, cheesy tree. That's <laughs> someone who's trying to give me some, it was uh, some, something cheesy. And I said, what is that? And they said, oh, it's cheese. And I said, no, I don't think it really is. <laughs> that cheese product <laughs> tells you something there. So, and I think that generally uh, we, if, you know, I've, I've always um, heard the advice that if you can't pronounce everything that's in the ingredient list, you probably ought not to be eating it. And I think that's always helpful for me. But I also like the fact that you're talking, you know, you talked about the, if you're not sick, maybe you can do an 80-20 of, yeah. of being real. And that's the same with, you, you don't have to be a stickler for the highest, highest quality, but if you can lean towards that way whenever you can, you're right. better Absolutely. off more often. And what happens too, is once people really make these changes for a few months, they can really start to to connect how things make them feel, how certain foods make them feel that they never were able to do before. I always try to encourage people for at least a 30-day period to be 100% strict, you know, to really allow their body to kind of just hit the reset button, like control, alt, delete on the computer. When all the adware and spyware starts popping up, you just do a hard reboot. And then after that 30-day period, you can bring some things back in. Now, maybe people are going to have that piece of pizza and a beer and realize, gosh, I really don't feel that great when I eat flour gluten, kind of just like you did with that cookie. Yeah, yeah. Or they have, you know, their Greek yogurt parfait in the morning that they hadn't had in a while and they really feel bloated and gassy. So what ends up happening is a lot of people are able to make then choices about what they eat with being empowered around it and kind of knowing, okay, when I eat this, this is the consequence. And so on a regular basis, it might not be worth it anymore. But at their friend's wedding for that piece of cake, or maybe when they're on vacation in Italy, then maybe that's an, is it worth it? And they think, okay, I know that my joints are going to be a little bit sore for a few days and I may get a headache. I can take some Advil, you know, but it's worth it to me to have this experience, you know, versus on a daily or weekly basis. You know? My daughter and I went to Morocco for uh, about a couple of weeks and uh, every breakfast in Morocco is about five different types of bread <laughs> and not much else. <laughs> and I, when we landed, the first thing we had was bread. And the interesting thing, so I turned to my daughter and I said, well, here we go. We'll see how this goes. The interesting thing is I had almost no reaction when I was there. I didn't feel bad. It didn't bother my stomach. It was di different, different flour, obviously different wheat that they use. But when I came back to the States, I immediately had seasonal allergies that I hadn't had for years because there had been a slight, you know, elevation in my inflammation. As soon as I stopped bread, cleared it out again, it went away. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. Isn't it? I have so many people that are allergic to their cats yeah. and then, you know, when they stop eating gluten or dairy, all of a sudden they're not away. allergic. Yeah. They're not allergic to the pollen, the mold, the cats anymore. Yeah. You know? I, th I think there's a certain level that we all have some allergens around us and it's whether we've kept it, you know, it's topped off and it's now overflowing, which leads to us overflowing <laughs> lots of yucky stuff or if we keep it at a manageable level by, level by eliminating all the other things that we might be reacting to. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I, there's so much here and uh, you're going to have some resources for people at the end on at getting more information. So let's let's go on past the the diet. What what were the other pieces that you talked about? You mentioned sleep yeah, so and some I, other things. I have kind of what I call like the five pillars of optimal health. So that includes nutrition, mm -hmm. which I believe honestly is about 90%. And I think that's where everyone gets to start their focus because if you're not hormonally balanced from the inside out, I don't care how much you pray, meditate, exercise, sleep. It's like pushing a boulder uphill. It's just mm -hmm. not going to work. So after nutrition, there's exercise, which is really just movement and moving the body. And it doesn't, you know, it's, it's meeting people where they are with their age, relative activity level and health, but um, it doesn't have to be as much as people think. You know, it's really not about eating less and moving more to achieve optimal health. It can be a combination of light resistance training, which is body weight, especially as, as we age to increase bone density and reduce osteoporosis and other things, you know, flexibility that can be yoga, it can be using a foam roller at home, just stretching, you know, doing Tai Chi, um, and then just moving your body. It's more important that people enjoy what they're doing versus having some rigid, you know, gym routine, unless that's what you enjoy, then that's, then that's great. Um, then there's stress management and stress management can look so many different ways. Some people really enjoy guided meditations. There's so many free apps out there. One I really like is called insight timer. So people can download that. It's free. There's about 200,000 guided meditations on there and you can wow. filter from length of time and how much time do you have five minutes to 60 minutes, male voice, female voice, background noise, no background noise. You can save people, rank them. 
So I have people start out with one of those, just five minutes a day, first thing in the morning, you know, before we just kind of robotically go on throughout our day and check our phone and our email and get into do mode. Um, I like to help people create a morning routine. What does it look like being intentional about your day, setting your intention of people are spiritual. I'm Christian. My faith is really important to me. So that's my scripture time in the morning where mm-hmm. I spend time with God and I bring God into my life and ask him to direct my, my day and my thoughts and my actions. Um, you know, breath work, people can do a quick breathing exercise when they feel stressed out or at a red light, you know, there's so many different things. And then also sleep, sleep's pillar four, you know, really just dedicating time for quality sleep, having a sleep hygiene routine. And then the fifth one is joy. Kind of what's the point of doing all those other things to have a healthy life if you're not going to create joy in it? So that's pillar five is, you know, joy and personal growth and encouraging people to participate again in things that really give them passion and light them up on the inside, whether it's a personal hobby, spending time with their family in the community. Um, Maybe they're lucky enough to have a job that expresses that part of them. And if not, you know, what else can they do in their life to just be joyful and create happiness? So yeah, those, those are the five pillars. Yeah. And those, some of those are um, not so much, you know, a lot of times people go, I don't have time for that. And Mm -hmm. A lot of times, this is what gets you time back for one thing. Uh, but also, I mean, uh, let's go back to exercise. And I've, so many times I've said to people, how much time do you think this is going to take? I mean, can you take 10 minutes to take a walk? Right. And uh, if you want to exercise, the seven-minute workout is a pretty good workout uh, yeah. for people. Seven minutes. you know. <laughs> so, and the same with stress management. That's uh, talking about how to take back time when you're running frantically. Um, Sleep is a big one I hear from people, though. So let's talk a little bit about sleep hygiene. And then I want to go back to joy and, and some other recommendations you might have for how people find that joy. But sleep hygiene, what are some things that just kind of low-hanging fruit that people could take advantage of around sleep? Yeah, well, two things that have been hugely impactful with my sleep. I am such a light sleeper, always have been. I mean, I can hear my obese cat. By the way, my I tell her all the time she's bad for business. Apparently, my... <laughs> My human knowledge has not translated over into the feline world. But she needs to go paleo. <laughs> I'm trying to find good foods like raw. Yeah. You can't like, anyway, that's another story. <laughs> I have two cats and you can't feed them without free feeding them because they're yeah. not like dogs. They don't eat at the same time. So I have to leave the food out while I'm gone all day. And I'm, she probably just eats both the shares. Pushes but, the other one aside and says, that's fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I can hear her like walk on the carpet and it'll wake mm. me up. You know wow. what I mean? So um, earplugs and a night mask, like creating a dark, quiet space. So that is really important. And if, you know, some people have blackout shades or darker curtains. I don't. The light kind of seeps in through my shutters. But I wear one of those light night masks, and it really, really helps a lot. Also, setting up a regular sleep bedtime and wake-up time is really important, like helping your body get on a natural clock with your schedule. I know for some people, they don't have consistent schedules if they work erratic shifts, you know, nurses and, but to the best that you can getting on some sort of regular sleep schedule, um, is really helpful. And then of course they talk about blue light, minimizing the time that you're exposing yourselves to blue light, which is from electronics at nighttime and really just allowing your mind to wind down. Maybe that's you read in bed, you know, what a concept instead of watching TV, a lot of us don't read uh anymore the way that we used to i'm just so inundated with tv or even you know people read on kindle which is great but it's still the blue light thing so getting a hard copy of a book you know and reading that or maybe that's when you use insight timer and do a meditation and just journal or do something else that's not electronically based can be really helpful for people yeah and that blue light just to reiterate i mean that you're talking about what comes off of tablets and phones and any device that's got a a glowing screen right exactly and the other thing too is a lot of people don't have a problem falling asleep but it's staying asleep they wake up at two or three in the morning and I always ask people that and they say, oh, how did you know that? I said, it's a blood sugar issue is really what it is. So when mm-hmm. you're eating too many carbohydrates, you're on a blood sugar roller coaster and it's hard to sleep on a roller coaster. 
So that's what happens. Your body's waking up in the middle of the night because your blood sugar is now out of whack. Mm -hmm. So when they start going lower carb and focusing on quality proteins and fats, usually that goes away. Okay. So the nutrition plays in right, really right across because how you're fueling yourself determines how much you can move and how you can move. And yeah. also, also really in that stress management area, I mean, my, my realization is when you're running on sugar, you're going to feel stressed. You're going to feel that engine and then all of a sudden you're going to feel uh, burnout. And yeah. Crash. And for, for me, I mean, my depression mm -hmm. that I was diagnosed with and medicated for several times went away when I went gluten-free because it was thyroid based. When I started healing my thyroid and reduced the inflammation in my body, I wasn't depressed anymore. I remember the first time I went on my thyroid medication and making the changes. I think within a week, I felt like a new person. And I called my friend who had originally thought, I think you might have, she's actually a veterinarian and she works with horse hormonal health. And she's the one that told me, I think you need to go get your thyroid checked. I think it's a thyroid issue. And I called her and I said, oh my gosh, can this thyroid medication, can this make you happy? And she's like, of course, the thyroid's like the master hormone. Yeah, Absolutely. And I just, I was so excited, but then I got so angry thinking, wow, for the prior seven years, all the therapy I was going to and medication I was prescribed to treat, which was just basically a symptom of a more severe underlying issue. And once I found out what that root cause was and healed that, everything else kind of just magically cleared up. So, so I just want to, push just for a second for people, somebody might be listening and going, well, what's the big deal? If you take 90% more of the thyroid medicine, no big deal. It, you know, it gets you to normal. That misses the fact that our thyroid doesn't do a constant level, which is what medicine puts in you. And so mm -hmm. in that process, a lot of people feel very stuck and you know, they can't, there's um, no movement. There's nothing that's going on. So when you're pushing yourself harder, there's nothing that's picking it up. And so the, what you got out of getting down as much as you did is much more of a normal thyroidal cycle to your life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the interesting thing about the thyroid hormone and gluten, which I found out about two years ago. So I knew like I felt better without gluten. And I realized the reason that so many people actually have autoimmune thyroid issue is because gluten seeps into the bloodstream when you have leaky gut, which everyone with autoimmune disease has leaky gut. Gluten gets into the bloodstream and then the body creates antibodies to attack it. Gluten is almost molecularly identical to the thyroid hormone. So what happens is gluten, the antibodies that attack the gluten then start to go turn on the thyroid because it's a case of mistaken identity. Hmm. So it, that's why it's really important for people to be 100% when they have a chronic illness because I realized every single time that I eat gluten again, I'm going to cause irreversible damage to my thyroid. So I can prevent further damage by changing my lifestyle. And then the thyroid that I have left, I can protect that. Mm -hmm. And so I won't have to keep increasing my thyroid meds, right. which is what I would have had to do if I didn't. So it's like, I might've felt a little bit better, not as great as I feel if I changed my lifestyle, but it would have been never ending. It maybe would have lasted a year. Then I go get retested. Then they would have increased my thyroid meds, go get tested another year. So it's, and then it just causes a cascade of other issues in the body. I mean, that's a domino effect, really. So it's just Band-Aid after Band-Aid after Band-Aid, wound splits open again, they butterfly stitch it, burst open again, versus really true healing, mm -hmm. you know? So Yeah, yeah great. Um, so you, you pointed to last thing, and it's not icing on the cake, it's, and I hate to use the word cake since we're talking about paleo, but... <laughs> hey, there's, 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 there's keto paleo cakes that are... Uh, and Monkford, I've made the best chocolate chip cookies for all my clients last year. For Christmas. I'll try yours, but I don't like it. <laughs> could not believe it tasted like real chocolate chip cookies. No one believed me. Uh, I, I want to try yours because I've had so many people who are like, "Oh, you can't tell the difference," and I'm sitting there going, "Yeah, I can tell the difference." <laughs> you know what's really good that a lot of people like my roommate got hooked on them yesterday actually because I got her to change her diet. Are those bulletproof bars? Yeah, the chocolate chip cookie dough ones. Yep. Those are good. So there's there's some pre-made options out there, but yeah, I mean, I'll I'll send you the recipe for my. I would love it. Yeah. There's so, lots. what's that interesting about those bulletproof bars is they're not, and it's the same with the primal bars that are out. Um, they're not as sweet as people expect because yeah. they've been set up for the sugar piece, and so yeah. you actually have to be got to be on the sugar fix in order for those to. Uh, so hit the funny, spot. <laughs> funny story, really quick. This reminds me. Last year, it was actually I think Thanksgiving. So one of my clients had been with me for less than 30 days. So he was in the 100% commitment zone, resetting, right? 
and Thanksgiving rolled around in that time. And I was like, you could totally do this, eat all the turkey under the sun, you know, the even have potatoes and butter or whatever, just go cream. And so for dessert, all the pies came out, all the stuff, and he made himself a nice bowl of berries. And he was looking around the table, looking at everyone else eat the berries. And he's like, I couldn't understand. I was eating these berries and they tasted like crack. Like everyone was the sweetest, like candy. He was asking around the table, where did you get these berries? I need to know. These are the best berries I've ever had. People looked at him like he was insane because they're all eating the sugary stuff. And yeah. eating berries. They were just normal berries, but because he had been sugar-free now for three weeks and his palate recalibrated, he was able to appreciate like the natural sweetness in food without all the extra stuff. So yeah, I thought that, that always was a funny story for me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think one of the things I've, I've come to believe that they, that we all have tendencies towards addiction and that's part of the way our brain is wired because, you know, if you're in an environment where there's not, you can't just go to the store and get whatever you want. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that you would be naturally craving sugar because when's it, when's sugar available in fruit? Right right at the end of summer, right when you need to put on some extra weight to get ready for, uh, for the winter. And so it makes sense that we have a built-in piece of that. We, it's just yeah. been adapted to other things. My experience of that, my eye-opener was when I was at a, a church event. It was a, a youth event, and they messed up, and they asked too many people to bring chips. So we had all these chips and not many vegetables and other things. And so we were doing this um, murder mystery, and they threw, and I had been probably three, two or three months of, of a hundred percent eating. And, uh, and so they threw the chips on the table and said, y'all can eat those before we have uh, dinner. And the look I saw was addiction all around. They zoned out, they grabbed the chips, they ripped them open and started just mindlessly putting them in their mouths. And I was sitting there going, Oh my gosh, this is, this is it. This is the addiction we have to these substances. And when you readjust, because I, I finally, to be polite, I, picked up one chip and that was all I could, all I could eat. It tasted horrible (laughs) after the readjustment. So his readjustment where they tasted so good, a lot of times once people readjust, they go back to the food and they realize it really is not what you thought it was. Yeah, totally. Okay. So this, let's just for a second, talk about joy, um, not being, I talked about not being the icing on the cake, but part of the cake. So just using that, uh, joy is part of, I see it as the, the energy, the reason why you would want to do these things. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit more about what you mean by joy. You mentioned some ways of doing that, but just a little bit more of understanding that. Yeah. It's really just creating a life that's worth living, you know, and it comes it comes from inside of us, you know, not outside of us, not all these things that we think are going to make us joyful, but really cultivating a sense of joy and purpose for, like you said, doing all these things in the first place. Mm. You know, why is it so important for you to take care of your health? Why do you want to be on this planet longer? Like what lights you up? What are you passionate about? What gifts do you feel like you have that you can give to the world? You know, and then just, um, you know, it it really just comes down to that mindset too, you know, daily mindset and the power of intention and creating joy. I know if I want to have a joyful day, I get to be joyful. You know, it stems from me. I get to create joy. I get to be the source of transformation. If I want to have a better relationship with my stepmother, I get to source that. What can I do today to create a better, more intimate, connected, deeper relationship with her? or my sister, or my family, or my church. And it's the same thing too, because I did struggle with happiness and, you know, scarcity mindset, and a lot of fear and self beat up, you know, I'm a recovering perfectionist, as I like to say, you know, it's really easy for me to focus on the 1% of things that I felt I didn't do well, and ruminate over it and spin and spin and spin around and just create misery. It was all self created misery. Mm. You know, and I thought, gosh, I have so much more power over my own mind and thoughts and, and happiness, state of happiness than I realized. So creating those affirmations, celebrating, waking up every morning, like I write a gratitude list to God, you know, and I write also the things that I'm surrendering. I'm surrendering perfectionism. I'm surrendering fear and scarcity mindset and all that stuff and just creating like that, it, just one day at a time, creating joy, really. You made a switch there that I think is important to notice. Instead of saying, I have to eat differently, 
or I have to exercise or I have to deal with my stress or I have to get better sleep to be able to say, I get to, I get to eat better and, you know, put nutrition into my body that my body can actually use. I get to move my body. And there Mm -hmm. are a lot of people who don't have that option. So I get to do that. And what does that mean down the road? I get to manage my stress so that, you know, the kids get a better me or spouse or friends or whoever gets a better version of you and you get a better version of you and they're just feeling it. And uh, I get to rest myself so that I'm ready the next day. Uh, Great changes. So here's the thing. If you're ready to make those changes and you're going, okay, I kind of get the overall picture. Uh, Maureen, talk a little bit about some resources that you have for people who uh, come to your website and then just tell us your website. Yeah, my website's MaureenVincenti.com. And I have a couple different things. There's a peak performance checklist people can to download, a fat loss workbook people can download. And then I also do free uh, strategy sessions with people. So health breakthrough strategy sessions. So it doesn't mean that um, we have to work together, but there's an opportunity to see if that would be a good fit. But I have so many tools and resources that I've you know, accumulated over time. So I'd love to just have the opportunity to hop on a call with people, hear what their health goals are, their challenges are, and then just see what options are available for them, really point them in the right direction and show them that, you know, it's really possible to feel and look different in as little as 30 days. Yeah. And, yeah. and so that, I mean, if you just mark it on 30 days out, I want to feel different. That, that, that yeah. starts, that starts with a change today. And yeah. a good start to that is going to MaureenVincenti.com and that's M-A-U-R-E-E-N-V-I-N-C-E-N-T-Y.com. Yeah. And then if they go to MaureenVincenti.com slash strategy session, that will open up my calendar Okay, as well. Perfect. And we will put links to that in the show notes in case you're, you happen to be exercising or uh, <laughs> driving around or stressing out or whatever you're doing right now as you're listening. We'll make sure that the link is in the show notes so you can uh, make sure you get there. Maureen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for all that you've shared and for the fact that you brought that um, uh, pre-med and then NASA EPA brain to the mm-hmm. process of figuring this out so that others don't have to keep hitting up against the wall. Thanks for sharing so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to the Thrivology Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at Thrivology.com or at ThriveologyMagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T-H-R-I-V-E-O-L-O-G-Y. It's your life. Time to live it. Thank you.